So we are continuing in the book of Habakkuk this morning. We're picking up in chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, um, if you're in the Pew Bible, if you're looking at the Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 834. Um, you can also follow along in the Brentwood Bible Church app. Um, just go to the Sunday service and it will all be there. Um, and you can follow along. So we've seen kind of throughout the book in chapters 1 and 2 this back and forth between God and Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk will ask a question, God will answer um, Habakkuk asks a follow-up question and God answers. And so that's what we just finished last week is God's answer. And so for Habakkuk, all along, it's been a battle between his expectations of what God was supposed to do or what he thought was God was supposed to do and the reality that he saw in the world around him, right? And he's come to understand after kind of two back and forth between him and God um, that his reality his view of reality is too small, right? He couldn't see, know, and understand all that God was doing. And so it wasn't God who needed to act differently or to do something else or to respond to injustice. It was Habakkuk that needed to change, right? He needed to expand his view of God and how he works in the world. And so in Habakkuk's response, um, today, we're going to see, chapter 3 is all Habakkuk and his response to what's happened. We're going to see how he does that, how he expands his view, how he reminds himself of what God has done, and how he realigns his view of God and his expectations for how he lived, he works in the world. So we're going to read um, chapter 3, 1 through 15, all together, um, and then we're going to kind of go through it and see what we can learn from it. And so, um, chapter 3, a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, according to Shiginoth, it's sort of maybe a tune, maybe something that they um, have used in worship when they did this. It says, Lord, I've heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him, and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. <clears throat> I see the tents of Kushan in distress, the tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or is your rage against the sea when you ride on your horses, your victorious chariot? You took the sheath from your bow. The arrows are ready to be used with an oath. <clears throat> you split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and shudder. <clears throat> A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. <clears throat> Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence. At the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear, you march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast water. There's something about this time of day uh, every week. I get this little cough. It only happens like it 
11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. I don't know what's going on, but this is when it shows up every week, like clockwork. So we see it's the prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. We've seen all along that Habakkuk thinks deeply. He reacts deeply. He has these deep conversations with God. As we come to the end of the book, this continues. Right? All of chapter 3 is a prayer, and we're going to take it in two parts, one part this week and the second part next week. And so um, you can think of, as you read through this, which is really most of the prayer is really short. Actually, chapter 2 is most of the prayer. And it says, Lord, I've heard the report about you. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. So this verse, verse 2, is Habakkuk's response, his petition to God. He has asked his questions. He understands, at least the best that he can understand. And now he concludes by accepting by readjusting and by leading others to accept the just and merciful ways of God. If you've been following with us, chapter 3 sounds very different than what Habakkuk has said previously in the book, where he's mostly complaining and asking questions and like, this doesn't make sense, and I don't understand. This view of God seems very different than that. But what we see in the rest of the chapter is this reflection, almost a meditation on the three things that we see in verse 2. And so as a result of that, we're actually using verse 2 as our outline for today. So we'll see um, from these three things that we see here how Habakkuk's prayer can help us realign our thinking about God and how God's deeds lead us to stand in awe or in worship of Him. We'll even ask God to continue working in our day um, and beyond where we are right now, and we'll be reminded that God's justice comes with mercy. And as we begin to work through this, um, it'll be helpful to know the context of this prayer. Um, not just that it's in the book of Habakkuk and it's a back and forth between God and Habakkuk, but this is his response. But actually, there's a lot of references in here that you may not know, right? There's references to places that you may not be familiar with. Um, there's all these references in figurative language to lightning and light and brightness and thunder and rivers and mountains and all of this. Um, and these all have meaning, so it helps us to know the context of where these are coming from, the history and the references behind this prayer. Because the first time I read it this week, I was like, this sounds interesting, but I really don't understand what this is talking about. But once I understood the context <clears throat> and what Habakkuk was referring to, it made much more sense. And so in his prayer, Habakkuk is reflecting on God's power and how that power has been displayed in the history of Israel. Now, if you think back to the history of kind of any nation or any major thing, um, what you do is you look to what are the big events that help shape or help change or help do something different in the life of this person or this nation. And so for Israel, the event that shaped them the most was the Exodus, right? Almost everything that they did was shaped by what happened in the Exodus and what God did there. Um, the Exodus was the deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt. They were led out of Egypt into the Promised Land, and a lot happened along the way. Um, and we'll see some of those as we go through. Um, but I think it will be helpful for us to read a short um, section of one of the big events of Exodus when God gives them the Ten Commandments. Um, this was a significant event. It kind of forms them as a people, gives them the law that they need to follow and so as I read this, right, you've heard the prayer that I just prayed. So as you read this, listen and think about what you just heard um, and what happened on Mount Sinai. So this is Exodus 19, 16 through 19, and then a couple of verses from verse 20. 
So here's what it says. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud blast from a ram's horn, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. And then in verse 20, we see kind of the people's response to what happened. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountains surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Right? You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. That's how scary what was happening on top of the mountain was. The lightning, the thunder, the fire, the mountain shakes, everything that's happening with that. Right? And as you listen to that, I hope you heard some kind of connections between what we read in the prayer and what we see in the mountain. And as we go through this, keep this scene on top of the mountain in your mind. Right? The people at the bottom of a mountain looking up, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's a cloud, there's loud noise that shook the ground, there's smoke, and there's fire at the top. And so this scene will help us understand this, especially um, our first point this morning is to stand in awe of God's deeds. This is what Habakkuk starts his prayer with, stand in awe of him. Habakkuk has learned from God, he's heard God's plans, and he is in awe, he is in fear, he is in worship of God. And he expounds this in worship by remembering and recounting God's powerful deeds, right? God comes from Taman, the Holy One from the Mount Paran. And so these places referenced here are in the region around Mount Sinai, which is the place where we just saw where they were given the Ten Commandments. It's where they were solidified into a community as the people of God. It's where God began to act, to lead, to protect, to judge, and shape his people, And the second half of this verse is his splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. So Habakkuk is saying that God's glory, his splendor, rises like the sun over the earth. It rises from these places and it covers us, right? So think of the sunrise where the sun peaks over the horizon and you see a little sliver of light and it shoots up into the sky and the sky begins to turn from black to light. And then it goes a little farther, and you can see it, and it begins to cover everything. And then eventually it gets high enough, and you begin to feel its warmth and the effects, and everything is covered by the sun. That's what he's talking about here. It's like the sun rises. And um, I couldn't help but think of the scene from Lion King when I read this, right? Where Mufasa sits on top of the hill with Simba, and he's kind of showing him the savanna, and he's like, everything the light touches... That's our kingdom. He's like, everything the light touches? And then he asks, like, what about that little place over there where there's shadows and darkness? Mufasa says, oh, no, you must never go there. That's not a part of our kingdom. Right? Basically saying that's outside of our jurisdiction. But this says, everything the light touches is full of God's glory and praise. Everything. There's no end to his jurisdiction. There's no place where God doesn't rule or reveal his glory. He is sovereign over creation and history. 
Everything is under his kingly authority as he demonstrates his sovereignty over creation and history. There's no place where his light does not touch. It doesn't exist. Comes like the sun. Then verse 4, his brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague and pestilence go before him. Right? As God moves through the earth like the sun, basically it's saying he burns up what's in front of him and he chars what he leaves behind. This is kind of an evidence of what I'm calling his searing holiness that burns like the sun. Now, during summer in Austin, we don't have to imagine searing holiness, right? If you stand out in the sun long enough, you understand this concept of searing, right? It burns away everything, right? It burns your skin. Um, it, if you're in the sun for too long, it causes issues. If you look at stuff inside your house, things that are in the sunlight, the colors fade, right? It damages the colors. There's all kinds of effects of just the sun hitting something. And that's what this is talking about is when God's light, when his glory, when his presence covers you, it burns away everything that's not supposed to be there. That's what it's talking about when it talks about his searing holiness, right? And, the, and talking about his rays flashing from his hand, it's bright and it's frightening, like the shining light, like the lightning and the fire on top of Mount Sinai, and then there's a ver in the middle of that, there's a verse that says, this is where his power is hidden. And yours may be translated slightly different, but what this is actually saying is, he's hiding some of his power. So what you see on top of the mountain with the Ten Commandments, where there's fire, and there's lightning, and there's thunder, and it shakes a mountain, is just a glimpse of the power of God. He's hiding his power from us. Right? Things that made people say, I don't want to talk to him because if I talk to him, I'll die. That's just a piece of God's power. A tiny piece that he's not showing to us. Right? Think of a, a large thunderstorm. And if you have kids or grandkids, and so for us, not so much anymore. Our kids are a little bigger. But when they're little and there's a thunderstorm, all the kids come running to your room. And they want to sleep in your bed or sleep on the floor in your room so that they can feel safe. Right? It's that concept, right? Just a thunderstorm, if it's bad enough, even as adults, we're like, I think I should go to like the inside of my house where all the walls can protect me. Um, so that, even that, where we're like, that sounds dangerous, is just a glimpse of God's power. Just a glimpse. And so imagine if that's just a glimpse of what he is capable of, why wouldn't we trust him with everything? If a thunderstorm and fire and lightning and earthquakes are just a glimpse, just a piece, why wouldn't we trust someone who had even more power than that? And then we get to verse 6. He stands and he shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. Just a look at a nation startles them, frightens them, brings them to fear. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. And so what he's saying here is that the mountains and the hills that we see as ancient, that we think have been around since creation, that we go and visit and look at and see their beauty and their majesty and the height of them, we think they're permanent. But in this, they're revealed to be frail and to be temporary. They break apart and they sink 
But God's ways are ancient. They outlast the mountains. The hills will disappear, but he will not. And then there's a bunch more in the rest of this we're going to hit kind of real quick. Um, He talks about arrows being ready to use with an oath in verse 9. This is basically saying his arrows have a mission. His arrows have a purpose. Even the smallest thing in God's plan has purpose. The sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence, meaning God has control over the sun and the moon. There's a couple of stories in the Old Testament where the sun stops moving. Um, And so he can do that if he desires right? There's sun and the moon obey God. No matter how bright they, you think they are, his lightning covers them up. Like when there's a lightning storm, you don't see the sun anymore. You don't see the moon anymore. His lightning covers that up. Then in verse 15, you tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast water. This is a reference to when Israel crosses the Red Sea, and they go through on dry ground, And then Pharaoh and all of his chariots and horses come through and the water covers over them. Essentially being trampled over with the water, stirring it up. Right? God covers them up. He uses the rivers and the water to do his bidding. And so if you read this, especially 1 through 15, it's like Habakkuk giving us God's resume. Right? It's the history of what he's done. Right? Because when you send in a resume, it's basically a history of, hey, this is what I've done, and this is what I'm capable of doing, and that's what people look like to hire you. Now, a lot of times, myself included, we try to convince people we can do things that aren't in our resume, um, but they have a really hard time believing us that we can do that because there's no proof. Right? But this is God's proof of what he can do, of what he's capable of. Right? He makes the sun come up every day. He sustains the universe by his word, right? If you believe that he is the creator, then you can trust him because of the things that you see here, right? If God is the creator, there's no need to doubt his power. It's clearly displayed on a daily basis. We see it all around us. So Habakkuk reflects on what he has seen God do and his power that leads us to fear him, to worship him. And then he asks God to keep working, which is what we see next in verse 2, where he says, revive your work in these years, make it known in these years. Right When you're asking someone to revive something, it means, hey, know that thing you did before, let's do that again, let's bring it back. Like for us, we're reviving fans at football games and those kinds of things. We're bringing those things back that we haven't done. It's like that. So basically what he's saying is, first he's saying, do what you did before. Right, God, do what you did before. Right, if God, if you have worked in the past, not just in the Exodus, but on several occasions in different ways all throughout Scripture, we can trust that he will work again. Right? Do your work again. And we pray this sometimes, and I pray this sometimes. Um, you'll hear me say things like, God, uh, just do that thing you do where you show up and you do something incredible and amazing that we've seen you do so that we know only you could have done that and you get the glory and you get the praise because we can't do it. Right? Just show up and do the thing that you do. That's what we pray for. 
right? Whether that's in our personal lives of getting healing or getting help or getting a job or making it through difficult circumstances, whether that's with your health and being healed or overcome or getting a diagnosis that helps you understand what you're going through, or even our church, right? To show up and see lives change, to see the gospel spread, to see amazing things happen that only God can do. The temptation for us is we want, sometimes want God to do exactly the same things in our lives that he's done in somebody else's. Right? We want him to work exactly the same way. We want him to heal us just the way he healed somebody else. We want to see our church explode like he's seen, we've seen other churches explode. We want to see our lives be full of his presence and his glory like we've seen in other people. But God is too great. He's too creative. He's too personal, really, I think, to do the same thing in your life that he did in somebody else's life. Now, generally, that may be true. But in your situation, he's going to do something new. Something that breathes life into your situation that's different than what you've seen in others. Because we are all different. Right? God doesn't need to do the same thing in my life that he needs to do in your life. Because we're in different places. In our life stage, where we are spiritually, how much we believe, how much faith we have, what we're trying to accomplish, what God is using us for. So he's going to do something very different in each of our lives. And so we ask God not just to keep working, but also to make it known that he is working, to make it clear that it is God actually working. When we look back to the Exodus, or if you can imagine, if you were in the Exodus, it was pretty clear that God was working. Right? There were plagues in Egypt where all kinds of crazy stuff happened after Moses said time after time and again. There's the crossing of the Red Sea. There's having food in the desert in the middle of nowhere. There's water coming from nowhere. Right? Clear miracles. I don't know about you guys, but in my life, I don't really have those moments where there's clear miracles, where God does something so obvious at least not regularly, where I'd say, God definitely did that. But we need to ask God to continue to show us what he is doing. So although it may not be as obvious in our lives, he still does that. And it may not be the way we expect. Because I don't think the Israelites, when Moses showed up and he said, hey, I'm going to free you from slavery in Egypt, and we're going to go to the promised land, and it's going to be great. I don't think they thought that the direction they would head would be directly into a sea that they couldn't cross because they didn't have any boats. Right? I don't think that would be what they chose. They're like, I'm not sure this is the direction we should go. And then to go out in the desert where there's no food and there's no water, there's no protection for them. Like, why did we do it that way? And so the way God does things isn't the way that we would choose or the way that we would have chosen. Right? But God doesn't do things the way that we do. He doesn't do things the way that we expect. So it's our job to ask, God, show me what you're doing. Because I believe he probably is working in all of our lives right now in different ways. And so if you're in here or you're watching and you're thinking, God isn't doing anything in my life, I would probably argue with you, not like big time, but I think he is. And so for us, it's to ask, God, what are you doing in my life? 
Show me how you're working. Whether you're listening or you're here and you're not yet a believer and you're like, I just showed up because I thought, hey, going to church, something I would do just sometimes and so I'll check it out. Right? I believe God is working in your life. Or if you've been here for 60 years, I think God is still working in your life. The problem is we don't always ask him to show us what he's doing. Right? So that's what we're doing. We're asking God to make it known. And then we have this phrase, right? In these years, or in our day, or in our time. Um, one of the commentators I read about these words, um, where it says, in these years, um, his phrase was, these are dully translated, meaning the person who translated these sort of made them boring, right? Made them lose the power and the effect and the message that they're trying to get across. And I get it, translation is hard, um, but it takes away a bigger meaning. So yes, it does mean, God, work in our time, work in our day. Let us see you work. But it also brings the connotation of continuing to work right? While we wait, keep working. Or even after that, keep working. Continue to do what you do while we wait. And I think what this is really talking about is the in-between, right? The in-between in the times where we think God is silent, in the times when you think God has forgotten, right? When you look at the world around you, and there's earthquakes, and there's hurricanes, and there's people being abandoned in their country, and there's all this stuff in Afghanistan. I mean, usually when I read, scroll through my newsfeed on my phone, it takes me like two or three articles to hit something like that, but not this week. This week, it's every single one. There's something different going on all over the world, right? That's the in-between where we're like, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why is it like this? What is going on? Why can't you just come back and fix it? Like now, today, this afternoon. Because he knew that he was talking to Israel. And there was going to be a time in Habakkuk's day where the Babylonians were going to show up. And they were going to conquer Israel. And Israel was going to be scattered and taken into exile. And God promised Habakkuk that someday the Babylonians would get justice. They would get what they deserved. But there was going to be an in-between when Israel was conquered and Babylon received their justice. That's the time he's talking about. In that in-between, help us to trust in you. And for us, we're actually in the in-between. Right? We've seen the cross and what Jesus accomplished on it of dying and sacrificing for sin so that we can have eternal life. And now we're waiting for him to come back, to return. We're in the in-between. And the distance for us is much longer than Israel had to wait to see Babylon fall. Right? It wasn't but a few decades that they had to wait to see that happen. And it happened really fast. But we are 2,000 years later, and we're still waiting. We're still in the in-between. Right? And so that's what we're asking God to do, to keep working, to keep showing us what he's doing, to keep moving us forward and trusting in him in the in-between. Right? And for us to see what he's doing. 
And then the, the last line of verse 2, right? In your wrath, remember mercy. So we need to remember that justice comes with mercy, right? God made it clear in the first two chapters of Habakkuk that his judgment and his wrath would come. But Habakkuk asks that God remember his mercy as he does it, right? Which is what all of us really want. We want mercy. We want grace when we stand before God. We talked about this earlier. We want justice for other people. But when it comes to our turn, we want grace and we want mercy, right? It wasn't my fault. I was having a bad day. I made a mistake. And we see this concept echoed in verse 13. It says, you come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. Right? We've seen God's power all the way through this prayer. He's the creator. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He is eternal. He is just. But his power isn't just displayed to show that he is powerful. They aren't just random demonstrations of his power and his might. His power is always displayed with a purpose. Right? God doesn't waste the opportunity to reveal himself or to reveal more of himself or to demonstrate his power. But it isn't just to say, wow, look at how powerful God is. Although that's important, he's always doing something more with it. So if we look back at a couple of things, justice of the Exodus came with deliverance. Right? We saw a lot of power displayed in the Exodus. We saw the plagues. We saw the escape. We saw crossing the Red Sea, providing food and water in the middle of the desert, conquering and entering the Promised Land. And those things are a great display of God's power in creation and in history. And yes, that was to display God's power, but that wasn't the only reason. He displayed that power as he was doing something else. He was providing deliverance for his people. Deliverance from slavery, deliverance to become God's people, Deliverance to live in the promised land. Everything God did in the Exodus was to deliver his people from slavery to freedom. From a foreign land into the kingdom of God. And then the justice in Habakkuk came with mercy. Because we talked about this couple of weeks ago uh, when we were looking at Habakkuk's response, there will be judgment. Israel will be conquered. Justice will come for those who are breaking God's law and exploiting his people. But we looked at, so not just here, but other places in the Old Testament, right? Whenever God conquered or judged or exiled the Israelites, there was always a little bit of hope. There was always a remnant that would remain, a small group that would come back and be restored as Israel. They would come back and start again. So even in God's judgment on Israel, he never completely wiped them out. He always left a remnant who could come back and restart. And we've been talking a lot about the past and God's power in the Exodus. And while that's a significant part of the history of Israel... 
it's not really a significant part in our history. Right? We weren't there. We didn't live it. I'm not sure that any of us in the room, maybe slightly, are Jewish, and you didn't grow up hearing this story or talking about it or reading about it. You may have heard about it in church, but it was more like something you heard. It wasn't a part of your history. So the question I asked this week was, but is there an event for us that would be as significant? An event that would bring all of us together? An event that we would remember and talk about regularly? And I think there is, and that event was what happened on the cross, right? And the justice on the cross came with salvation, right? We've been talking about all of these things that we see in God's power. Listen to this description to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew's description of Jesus' death on the cross and see if some of these things sound familiar to what we've seen in Habakkuk's prayer and what we saw with the Ten Commandments. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again, and with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, and suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Very similar. There's earthquakes, there's rocks, there's loud noises, there's darkness. All of these things happen again when Christ is crucified. It's God's power displayed on the cross. The power displayed in sending Jesus, his son, to the earth to live among sinners, right? To know them, to love them, to die for them. His power seemingly useless as he just hung there on the cross. But his power actually held him there as he endured. He took the punishment even though he was innocent. He absorbed God's wrath towards sinners, which includes us, so that we could be shown mercy, so that we could be shown grace. And his power wasn't just demonstrated there on the cross, but also in the resurrection, showing that he had the power to overcome sin and death and was conquered by Jesus for us so that we could have life and we could have grace. Right? Not just power to show that he's powerful, that he can come back from the dead, but power with a purpose, power for salvation, to set us free from slavery, from slavery to sin. And the, the Bible's pretty clear that if you think you're free and you're not yet a believer in Christ, you're really not. You're being controlled by your desires. You're being controlled by sin. You're being controlled by other factors outside of yourself. But Jesus died on the cross to set us free from all of those things. He set us free 
to lead us to the promised land of God's kingdom. Now, for us, we aren't going to a physical land where that happens, but for us, we go to eternal life to be with God forever in his kingdom. His power on the cross was displayed to give us hope as we wait, as we're in the in-between, that he can overcome, that he will overcome, that because Jesus died and rose from the dead, that we also could be resurrected to be with him. It reminds us to worship every morning as the sun comes up and we see it peek over the horizon. Right? There's a reason that verse is in there. His mercies are new every morning. And so every time we see the sun come up, whether you're awake at that time or not, you understand, right? The sun did come up while you were asleep. But there's a reminder that his mercies are new. His grace is new every day for us. So when we doubt, when we wonder if God exists, when you don't think God is powerful enough to help you or to save you, remember what he has done. Reorient your belief in him and what you see in the world around you with the truths of Scripture, which is just what Habakkuk did. Expand your view and your understanding of God's real power. Remember the things he has done in your life and in Scripture. And trust that what God has done, he will do again. He will work. He will show up. He will give us grace and mercy. He will save us. So remember what God has done. That's what Habakkuk at the end is saying. God has worked. He will work. I will trust in him. And next week, he's going to take that to a, actually a whole nother level in what he does in that. And so the reminder today is just to trust in God's power because he is able to do it. And he's always working whether we remember or see it or not. We guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for prayers like this in Habakkuk that remind us of your power, that remind us of what you have done, yes, in the history of Israel, yes, in Scripture, but also some of the things that you've done in our lives. God, help us to remember that those things are done in our lives, not just to display your power, but with a purpose, that everything you're doing and everything you've done is to grow our trust in you, to help us to see you, to understand what you're doing, and to love you and trust you and and surrender more of ourselves to you. God, help us to consider all that you have done that as we look around at the world around us of, of the sun or when we feel the heat of the sun, we're reminded of your searing holiness that burns away all of our sin, that burns away all of our selfish desires, that you are working in creation. When we see the mountains or the trees or the beauty of creation, we're reminded of you. God, when we remember the significance of you sending your son to take away our sin, help us to trust in you, to be reminded of your power and your grace and your mercy. And as we wait for you to return, help us to remember how great you are. 
your greatness and your love, your greatness and your salvation, your greatness and your mercy, your greatness and what you can do in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.